So I'm sure that the decision makers, the big head honchos, the guys that are in charge of making all the big decisions in the NFL, I'm sure that they all came together one day, two or three years ago and said, you know what? We need to do something. We have what could very well be the single most unimportant, unwatchable, uninteresting all-star game in all of sports. Yes, even worse than the NBA. These players don't really want to be here. These players don't really want to participate, but they're going to anyway. Because what are you going to do the week before Super Bowl? What can we do to improve the most unimportant event in all of sports? And I'm sure I would like to think that someone in that room basically piped up and said, listen, what you need to do, here's what you need to do. You need to turn it into the world's biggest flag football competition ever. Just put flags on the guys' belt, let them dress up in their street clothes or whatever. I mean, it's Hawaii, so who gives a shit? No helmets, no pads, nothing. Just let them go out there and play flag football. On top of that, Mr. Commissioner, if I may interject another idea, let's take all the competitions and combine them with the actual Pro Bowl game and the winning conference is decided on how many of these overall events that conference wins. And I'm sure Roger Goodell's like, that's brilliant. That's fucking brilliant. Yes, let's do it. Because there's no other fucking explanation for any of it. This is the most ridiculous thing I think I've ever seen. Could you imagine? By the way, this is Sports Central, part of the Closing Tag Network. Could you imagine if Major League Baseball's All-Star Game which already has home field advantage of the World Series riding on it, or to somehow award one of the leagues, the National League or the American League, based on who wins the home run derby? If I try to think about it too hard, I'm going to end up getting a headache. So I'm just going to stop right there. And since this is Sports Central and I did come in here a little bit sooner than I was expecting or anticipating, here is your Detroit Watch. Six wins, 
43 losses. Yes, they lost two more games since last time. So there you go. So with the trade deadline coming up in a couple of days and things going all sorts of crazy, there's a couple of really major injuries that need to be addressed. And one of them could have a profound impact on the trade deadline. And the other could have a profound impact on award season. I'll explain. So the trade deadline one. Chicago Bulls guard Zach Levine is going to be out for the rest of the season with season-ending knee injury, knee surgery. At least I think it's knee surgery. Let me double check that. Yeah, here we go. Oh, nope, nope. I was in the right general area, just wrong body part. It's not his knee, it's his right foot and ankle. So that sucks for him. And that sucks for the Bulls. I'm sure they were very much counting on some draft capital and some draft picks uh, in exchange for Levine. And now that he's injured and out for the rest of the season, that ain't happening. Which means in all likelihood, DeMar DeRozan's not getting dealt. Which means in all likelihood that we're going to be experiencing some buyouts this trade season. So I would imagine, and this is part of the reason why I'm doing this episode now, as opposed to waiting till Thursday. I would imagine that there are going to be some buyouts this upcoming weekend after the trade deadline comes and goes. You've not only got DeMar DeRozan, who's on the last part of his $33 million contract. He becomes a free agent, unrestricted free agent in June. The only, the other one that I think of when I think of, uh, players that are coming up on the end of their contracts is Charlotte Hornets guard Kyle Lowry. Now, do I think the Bulls buy DeRozan out so that he can go finally play for the Lakers? Probably. Do I think Charlotte buys Kyle Lowry out and he ends up going to like a contender or somebody to be like a you know, a third string point guard, maybe. Very questionable. I honestly don't think Kyle Lowry's heart is in it anymore. I mean, I'm not calling him a quitter like I've done Ben Simmons in the past, but I do think his heart's no longer in it. And I think he's pretty much done. He knows physically he just can't go anymore. And we've already seen and heard two uh, major retirements this season. In the middle of the season, mind you. Not only 
did um, Marc Gasol end up retiring re very recently. So did Cleveland Cavaliers point guard Ricky Rubio. Speaking of the Cavaliers, I'll, well, actually, I'll get back to the Cavaliers here in a bit. That's hilarious. I'm just noticing that. <laughs> anyway. So, all of that said, I don't know for sure if there's going to be any movement. Well, there's always going to be movement on trade deadline day because the next time you're able to trade after this Thursday is right before the draft. So, and that's four months away. So players and teams are going to want to position themselves in the best possible alignment. You can't do that if you're not able to make any move, movements until June. So I think that uh, we will see a few trades, but I don't think it's going to be nearly as earth shattering as one originally thought. I'll get to the other injury here in a bit, but I did bring up the Cavaliers. So right now, the top three teams in the Eastern Conference are as follows. Boston is at one, still clearly the best team in the league. Cleveland is at two. Cleveland. The Cleveland Cavaliers. No, LeBron did not ship jump ship over to the Cavaliers since the last time we talked. No, this is all Donovan Mitchell and a few ragtag renegades. But it also helps to point out that number three, Milwaukee, has lost three of their last four games. They are one in three since hiring Doc Rivers. Probably shouldn't have fired Adrian Griffin. Huh? Huh, Giannis? But the other injury that's having catastrophic effects throughout the league, and granted his injury is not nearly as severe as Zach Levine's, but it is still going to have a huge impact, and that is the reigning MVP Philadelphia 76ers center Joel Embiid who will be out for the next four weeks with a partially torn meniscus. Now, in of itself, that doesn't sound bad. So you take a few weeks off, rest up, heal up, do what you gotta do to get back in position to help your team maybe overtake New York and get that number four seed back. That's not the problem. The problem is that there is a new rule in the NBA this year. And on one hand, I have to really commend Adam Silver, the commissioner, for instituting such a ballsy rule. But it also really fucks guys over like Joel Embiid in situations like this. 
the rule is that a player has to play at minimum 65 games out of the 82 game season in order to be considered a candidate for any awards. So that goes for MVP, most improved player, defensive player, uh, rookie of the year, so on and so forth. And that would be my friend Dave. I'll respond to him in a minute. So, really should have put that on mute before I hit record, huh? Oh, well, it's too late now. So, all these awards are contingent on a player playing at least 65 games out of the 82 game season. This injury to Embiid, the, the recovery time alone is going to take him out for at least 10 games. Maybe 15. So that is going to barely put him under the 65 game uh, limit or minimum. So right now, not only is Embiid pissed off, but Vegas is scrambling like crazy. You've got, um, right now, I'm looking at the MVP tracker to determine, you know, who the odds on favorites are to win the MVP in the NBA. Before this injury, Joel Embiid was running away with the award consideration for MVP in Vegas. And now, as I put my phone on mute, because that's still a bugger for me. Okay. All right. Sorry. Just checking stuff. So now with the Embiid injury, Embiid is completely off the MVP tracker board for Vegas. Right now, your number one guy for MVP, and I kind of have to agree, but at the same time, I don't, and I'll tell you why here in a minute. At 51%, Nikola Jokic, former two-time MVP, uh, finals MVP from last year, Denver Nuggets center, probably one of the best players alive right now. I would definitely put him in my top three at the moment. Number two, and here's why I disagree with Jokic being the front runner. Shai Gilgis Alexander. If you don't know who that is, number one, wake up from the rock that you've been sleeping under. And number two, he is the all-star guard for the Oklahoma City Thunder. The Oklahoma City Thunder, who right now are in a three-way tie for the top seed in the Western Conference. Not only do you have the Thunder, you have Minnesota, and you have the Clippers, all at the top three. 
Shy Gilgis Alexander, or as I call him, Shy Guy. Other people call him SGA, which sounds like a computer component to me, but whatever. He is probably the single biggest weapon on the Thunder. And I know that guys like Josh Giddy and uh, Chet Holmgren are also uh, contributing in a very big way for the Thunder. But Gilgis Alexander to me is, you know, clear cut the MVP for that team. Number three, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and his stock is dropping with every loss for the Bucks. Again, probably shouldn't have fired Adrian Griffin, but hey, can't put that toothpaste back in the tube. Number four is Dallas Mavericks guard Luka Doncic, or Doncic, or however that's pronounced. And number five is Boston's Jason Tatum. Now, I would... Here's my feeling about the MVP. If you're just going to give the MVP award to the best player on the best team, then why have it up for a vote? Just give it to the best player on the best team. Right now, if the season were to end today, Jason Tatum would get the MVP in that particular rule. But to me, MVP isn't just about being the best player on the best team. To me, MVP is an acronym. Most Valuable Player. The key word to that is valuable. Not who's the best. Not who's the best scorer. Not who's the leader of the best team in the league. The most valuable player. The one guy that that team can not survive without. I would venture to guess Jokic is definitely qualified for that. Shai Gilchis Alexander definitely qualifies for that. I would put Donovan Mitchell from the Cavaliers in that same sentence. If any of those three players were to go down today, Season's over, they wrecked their knee really badly, whatever. If any of those guys went down, their respective team season is fucked. Another name that I would throw out there, because he's done a tremendous amount for that team in the amount of time that you know, they've been surging up the rankings. New Orleans Pelicans' Brandon Ingram. And I know New Orleans has Zion. And I know New Orleans has C.J. McCollum. And I know they have all these terrific role players on the bench. But to me, if Ingram is not Brandon Ingram, and if he's not playing the, at the level that he's at right now, the Pelicans are looking up at the Warriors right now but as it stands they're the sixth best team in the west behind only the aforementioned thunder timberwolves clippers nuggets and sacramento kings 
And I'll throw one more name on there, even though I highly think that he's probably going to end up winning most improved player. Indiana Pacers guard Tyrese Halliburton. If Tyrese Halliburton does not become a household name practically overnight, I'm not so sure Indiana is the sixth seed in their conference. Right now you've got Boston, Cleveland, Milwaukee, New York, Philadelphia, and then Indiana in the East. I don't know if Indiana is number six, if Tyrese Halliburton is not the guy that he is right now. So that's what I'm saying about, you know, most valuable player. I mean, I could throw uh, Anthony Edwards from the Timberwolves in that conversation as well. But the thing about the Timberwolves is it's not just about one guy. You've got Edwards, yes, but you've also got Carl Anthony Towns. You've got Rudy Gobert. You've got Mike Conley. You've got all these guys that are contributing in a big way to the Timberwolves' success. Same thing with the Clippers. You've got four all-stars all contributing, and I never thought I would say this about James Harden or Russell Westbrook, all contributing in their own way, in their own you know, little sections but also getting others involved as well and then you throw in a guy like Harris Mann who has practically become somewhat of a folk hero for the Clippers and you've got all these guys that are contributing to the, all these teams and you just want to give the MVP to Tatum And, and let's talk about Boston for a second. Yes, Boston is the best team in the league. That's because they're the best team in the league. It's not just Tatum and 11 scrubs. You've got Tatum. Yes, you've got Kristaps Porzingis. You've got Jalen Brown. You've got Drew Holiday. You've got all these amazing players on this team that are well coached, that are well, you know, orchestrated. Now, if you want to give, I uh, forget the guy's name, uh, the coach for the Celtics, if you want to give him coach of the year, give him coach of the year. I'm cool with that. And I could go on another tangent about, you know, well, the coach of the year shouldn't just be the best, the, the coach that has the best team. I mean, yes and no. There's nuances to that. But I would not be too terribly upset if they gave the coach of the year to the guy that coaches the Celtics. But for me, coach of the year is the guy that coaches a team up to you know, beyond expectations, someone that is going to elevate everybody's game up to where they're not, um, you know, the scrubs that everybody thought they were. And right now, 
I can't think of anybody, not anybody, that is more qualified for that role for you know coach of the year than Dave. I forget his name. I had it pulled up like two seconds ago. No, it's Mark. Mark Dagnote. I'm pronouncing that horribly. I know I am. And your first response is probably who? Which is probably part of the reason why he should get the award. Because without that guy... Again, I don't think the Thunder are the top seed in the, in the West. So all these things are inter, interlined with each other as far as awards go. Again, I think Halliburton's probably going to win most improved if Tyrese Maxey doesn't. I mean, becoming an all-star practically overnight tends to do that sort of thing. Defensive player of the year, I don't know. It's a tough one. You know, I'm obviously biased when I say that I would like to see, you know, Rudy Gobert win one one more. But there's so many good defensive players out there. I don't think it can just be a matter of, well, just give it to Gobert. You know, again, it could, you know, wind up going to a team that's on the best team in whichever conference. So it could go to someone that's on the Thunder. It could go to someone that's on the Celtics. I don't know. So, and speaking of coaches and speaking of the Bucks, let's chat. What? is your guys's opinion on this so there's a rule in the nba i think they actually call it the pat riley rule basically you cannot coach an all-star game two years in a row you just can't you're not allowed so Basically, how they determine who the head coach is for each conference is they determine it based on that coach's um, team's standings in the West or in each conference. So right now, well, a few days ago when they made the announcement, Boston was at one, Milwaukee was at two. But because the Boston Celtics coach, I'm just going to pull up his name. I don't want to just call him the Celtics coach. Joe Missoula. Yeah, that one. Since Joe Missoula coached the All-Star game last year, he's not allowed. Just is not allowed at all. And the reason why they did it that way is because back in the 80s, it was always the same coaches over and over and over again, specifically on the Western Conference side of things when you had Pat Riley, Pat Riley, Pat Riley, Pat Riley, Pat Riley. And the NBA finally just stepped in and was like, look, this is getting ridiculous. You can't just keep coaching the All-Star game every year. So we're just going to mix things up. If the number one seed's coach has already coached the All-Star game the previous year, he is disqualified. 
we give it to the second best team. So since Joe Missoula coached last year, they ended up going to the Bucks. Now the thing about the Bucks is at the time the announcement was made, they had already made their head coaching change. So no longer was it Adrian Griffin. It was now Doc Rivers. And Doc Rivers wasn't even with the team two weeks before the fucking announcement. And he just backdoors his way to being able to coach an all-star game? Exactly how is that fair? My personal feeling is this. Expand on the Pat Riley rule, but also include a Doc Rivers rule. So if you already coached an all-star game in the past year, you're not allowed to coach again until the next year. So you're not going to have the same coach year after year after year after year after year. In that same vein, you should not be allowed to coach an all-star game if you've only been with your specific team for less than two fucking weeks. Just my thoughts. What are yours? Now that I'm shockingly coming up on 30 minutes, I did not think I was going to talk for 30 minutes about sports with very little to no topic discussion thing. I guess I just went off on my own tangent. Anyway, uh, if you want to leave a review on Spotify, reviews are nice. Uh, if you're watching this on Facebook, like, share, and comment. If you're watching this on YouTube, like the video, subscribe to the channel, and hit the bell for notifications. That way, you are alerted every time that a new video is dropped. Also, it helps with the algorithms, I am told. I am not a YouTube expert. I am just told by one that that's how it goes. So... If you have donated and liked and downloaded and watched this uh, particular podcast at any particular point in time since its return back in October of 2023, your efforts are not going unnoticed, so thank you. And because it's Taco Tuesday, I'm going to go get some tacos. So, in the meantime, guys, take care. And remember to include your closing tags. Thanks.